Welcome to Everyday Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Cynthia Thurlow. This podcast is designed to educate, empower, and inspire you to achieve your health and wellness goals. My goal and intent is to provide you with the best content and conversations from leaders in the health and wellness industry each week and impact over a million lives. Today, I had the honor of connecting with Jason Wachub. He is the co-author of The Joy of Wellbeing. And today we spoke at great length about his background as the co-CEO of Mind Body Green, the leading independent media brand dedicated to well-being. He's also the host of Mind Body Green podcast, for which I have had the honor of being a guest on. Today, we spoke at length about both Colleen and Jason's backstory, their pain to purpose mission the role of longevity, epigenetics, and joy span, the impact of the pandemic and the lack of connection and loneliness, social media algorithms, the impact of nutrition, concerns over tribalism, the role of bioindividuality and the processed food industry, exercise, hormesis, as well as forever chemicals and toxins and the impact on our health, their new book, The Joy of Wellbeing, was a delight and a synthesis of all of their work over the last 10 years. Definitely a book that I really enjoyed reading. I hope you will enjoy this conversation with Jason as much as I did recording it. Jason, it's so nice to have you on the podcast this morning. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm a fan of your show, so it's an honor to be here. Yeah. And so obviously you and Colleen wrote this incredible book, but let's back up a little bit. I would love to hear about how Mind Body Green kind of came into existence. I know both you and she had some healthcare hiccups. And I always say, you know, kind of pain to purpose can be really relevant. And certainly the listeners love learning a little bit more about authors and their platforms. Sure. So Colleen and I, yes, have had some health issues and we have turned those lemons into lemonade or at least inspired us in Mind Buddy Green. And for me, you know, the founding story, I have to rewind back to 2008, 2009. I was running a startup that wasn't doing well. I was extraordinarily stressed. I was flying quite a bit. And all of that combined with an old basketball injury led to two extruded discs in my lower back, L4, L5, S1. I had excruciating sciatica in my right leg. My right leg felt like a lightning rod. I couldn't walk. And walking is like something that brings me tremendous joy. If I don't get my 10,000 steps every day, I am a very unhappy camper. And this was taken away from me and it was brutal. And I went to a doctor and he said, do you need back surgery? And this was after, you know, cortisol shots and you name it. And I have nothing against surgery or back surgery, but the success rates with back surgery aren't so great. And so I sought a second opinion and that doctor said the same thing. He said, you need back surgery. And it was almost like an afterthought. He was like, you know what? Maybe you could try some yoga or therapy, but you probably still need surgery. And so Colleen, my wife and I were dating at the time and Colleen had a yoga practice. And I said, all right, you know, I'll try a little light yoga, you know, five to 10 minutes in the morning and evening, really restorative light. And I started to feel better. And over the course of six months, I completely healed. I went from couldn't walk to being completely fine. And, and yoga was a big part of it. I also started to look at my lifestyle. I started to look at sleep, stress, nutrition. I was a guy whose idea of nutrition was steak and martinis at the Palm Steakhouse. I consumed so much in one year. My face is in the wall of the, the Palm Steakhouse in Midtown Manhattan <laughs> next to Adam Sandler and Joe Namath. Kind of insane. It was more martinis than the steak, I think. 
so you could see what I look like at age like 27 or so. This is, this is back when I was on Wall Street. And I still eat meat, but you know, try to not eat as much and make sure it's grass-fed and, and so on. And so you know, started to look at nutrition, sleep, stress, environment, looking at the toxins we were putting in our homes and bodies. And, and all of this combined with yoga you know, led to my healing. And I had this moment where I said, wow, every, everyone's thinking about wellness all wrong. First of all, you got to think about the word wellness back then was equated with the spa and anything with a little bit holistic was a very new agey and a little bit crazy and out there and preached the choir of, you know, people lived in, you know, Venice and Brooklyn and Boulder. And to me, I thought, you know, this is really just not approachable at all. And there's an opportunity to speak to the masses and build a bigger church. And everyone's thinking about this all wrong. True well-being is this blend of mental, physical, spiritual, emotional, and environmental well-being, all connected, mind, body, green, one word, not three. And I remember at the time too, I get a lot of, why the green? I don't get it. And I think about where we are in 23 and everyone gets the green piece. And that was the initial why behind the founding of Mind, Body, Green. And, you know, since then, Colleen, you know, we started out of our apartment in Brooklyn and I was the only one of our co-founders who went all in full-time, no salary, didn't make any money for, for almost three years. I said to Colleen, like, don't worry, it'll, it'll take six months. Like, you know, I've done this thing before. It'll take six <laughs> months, turn out three years. It was a very stressful time and Colleen supported us. And my other co-founders kept their day jobs and work nights and weekends. And then in 2013, Colleen had a serious health event where she went to her Saturday morning yoga class that she always did with our friend Tara Stiles and called me and said, you know what? I feel a little out of breath. Maybe I'm just tired. And said, I said, okay, you know, I'll meet you in the city. And we walked around and we were taking the escalator up the A train stop. I think it's the high street station in Brooklyn. It was very, very steep. And Colleen collapsed and she just like gaslit herself and said, I'm tired. And I was like, this isn't normal. This isn't you. And she kind of slept the whole weekend, reached out to her doctor. Doctor said, see how you feel and, and talk to me Monday. And I, I said to Colleen, I'm like, you're not going to work until you see the doctor, like period. So she stopped at the doctor and he said, I think you're having a pulmonary embolism. And he literally wrote it on a piece of paper. I'm having a pulmonary embolism and handed it to her and said, go to the ER at NYU. And to this day, unclear if he didn't think she would make it to the ER, like it was that serious or if she couldn't comprehend it, but she raced the ER and then she was indeed having a pulmonary embolism. And the doctors had said, we've never seen someone with this many showers of clots who's here with us alive. And luckily she was okay. And, you know, at the time she was working in a very high stress corporate job supporting us. And I think her work was at odds with her mission. She wanted to be full-time with me. She was working nights and weekends and then supporting us. It was really after that, you know, cosmic kick in the butt, she really started to, you know, reassess what's really important and where she wanted to be. And shortly after, financially, Mind Buddy Green could support both of us. And then she came on full time. And so those are sort of like our two major whys behind Mind Buddy Green. And, and in this, so getting back to, okay, people listening like pulmonary embolism, what happened? And, you know, my wife is six feet tall, thin, athletic. She doesn't fit the profile. She doesn't have the gene profile. And she's not obese. She's not a smoker. However, she was on the birth control pill 
for over a decade. And, you know, she'll say that, you know, the, the birth control pill comes with risks. And I think people are more aware today, but she didn't really ask the question and, you know, was still surprised because you didn't hear a lot about this. And remember, she wrote a post about her experience on Mind Buddy Green. This was back when we, you know, we'll get to social media later, but we used to have comments on our site. We don't have those anymore. And there were I think, hundreds of comments of, of women around the world saying, I had this experience or a loved one or a friend, and they weren't smokers or diabetic or obese, and they had the same experience. And it was just this outpouring of support. And I think for her, it was, wow, you know, I need to be the CEO of my own health. I'm not going to, you know, blame the doctor because the doctor had explained the risks. I need to be educated and understand that, you know, my practitioner is not perfect and I really need to take control of my own health. And that was a a big aha moment for her as well. And us, because, you know, I think we've learned this process is whether someone has an MD, PhD or what, or nothing after their name, they could be a incredible healer. They're still human. And you really have to empower yourself through educating yourself and being up to date on the science information and doing to empower, you know, you and your family to make the best decisions for yourself. So those are kind of the, the two whys. Those are two very big whys. And to acknowledge the work that you did, and it has been my clinical experience that back surgeries in many instances, sometimes patients can end up with more pain and not always curative. So bravo to you for leaning into the yoga, which you know led you down this path. And I've started talking more openly about this concept of informed consent, you know, in particular about oral contraceptives. I think for many of us, I mean, I took them for many years to quote unquote, regulate my menstrual cycle. And yet, you know, there's this informed consent piece that I think well-meaning practitioners are not having with younger women, whether it's for contraception or for differing reasons, whether it's about the lack of bone building capacity that you're missing by being in this low estrogen state the risk for pulmonary emboli. And for anyone that's not familiar with what that is, talking about blood clots that, uh, you know, with all my experience in cardiology and ER medicine, we saw a lot of, and sometimes they can be catastrophic. And so I can imagine when you're sharing that very humbly, how frightening that must've been for both of you. But I'm so grateful that that both of you have come on the other side and it then spurns you to really invest emotionally, mentally, physically into my body green. Because I think in many ways, it's served as a, a beacon of hope and a beacon of opportunity for people to really be their own best advocates. Yeah. And I think, you know, there have been multiple whys for us in terms of our mission. Those are the early ones. And I think as we've gotten older and have two young children, longevity for us is very important. And for me specifically, men in my family have a terrible track record here. My father died of heart disease at 47. My two grandfathers died at 49, one from heart disease and the other at 44 from cancer. And I'm 48. And so that's a tough one to swallow. And I will say, I believe in epigenetics. I believe we have the power to turn on and turn off genes through lifestyle modifications. And I believe that history stops with me. And that where we sit today in 2023, the science around longevity has just advanced so tremendously. And that was a big why for both of us, because we want to be around with our kids. And I think, you know, the question, and this is, you know, the reason behind the book 
it's not just about you know, longevity. I think that's the 1.0 is longevity. Let's just extend lifespan to say 100. And the 2.0 is health span. Let's extend longevity. Let's be healthy and fit and active for 99 years, 11 months, 30 days. Then maybe you rapidly decline or die of a heart, <laughs> heart attack in that last day and you're good to go. And then, you know, for us, we like the 3.0, what we call joy span. Because what's the point of living, you know, say the 99 years, 11 months and 30 days and being healthy and fit and mobile and active if you're miserable, if you don't have friends, if your kids don't talk to you, <laughs> if, if, what's the point of being around? And I think we've come so far, the science has advanced so much, but I think we need to think about what's our intention. You know, what type of life do we want to live? You know, what is your why? What brings you happiness? Because it feels like a lot of the conversation on the two sides of the spectrum with the more, you know, with the jade eggs and the VO2 max, the both sides of this gone a little too far, kind of suck the joy out of the conversation. And we think we sit in this incredible place where the science has come so far and it's all pointing to practicality. You know, if you're listening and you're working or you're a busy mom or dad, you've got a family, you've got work, you've got kids you're listening to a lot of the podcasts and you're saying, oh, wow, this is all great, but I can't do any of this. And Colleen and I started to feel this way. Like this is our life and our work and our passion and our mission. And we would look at a lot of the protocols and modalities, what's being prescribed. Like we don't have time for this. And the beauty of it is we felt we could get anyone there to 80% of their maximum well-being with if what are the main objections to our world? It's I don't have the time and I don't have the resources financially. And I totally get it. And I think we can get you 80% there with minimal time and effort with a, I'd say a 360 degree approach. So that was our recent why. How do we make longevity more accessible? Do you find yourself struggling to get a good night's sleep? If so, you may be dealing with a hidden mineral deficiency. It is not at all uncommon in perimenopause and menopause to deal with sleep challenges. And we know that one of many contributory reasons for poor sleep can be a reduction in specific minerals that help regulate sleep quality, including magnesium, which is involved in GABA, which is our body's main calming neurotransmitter. We also know that we need potassium to create melatonin. And this is a hormone that is a master antioxidant, but is also utilized to help induce sleep. We also think about things like zinc, which can balance excitatory neurotransmitters like glutamate. And if it's overactive, meaning if your glutamate levels are too high, it can prevent your brain from becoming more relaxed and inducing sleep. And lastly, selenium increases both our deep sleep and sleep duration. All these minerals matter a lot for sleep and any imbalances or deficits can have a major impact on the quality of sleep you get each night. And that's why I love Beam Minerals. They offer a full spectrum mineral supplement that gives you every essential mineral your body needs in the right doses, all in a highly absorbable liquid form. All you do is take a shot of bean minerals about an hour before bed. Don't worry, it tastes like water. And you'll replenish all of your body's minerals in about 30 seconds and give your brain what it needs for deep restorative sleep. I've been using this product over the last several months. I've really been impressed with the improvement in my sleep metrics, which I like to share on social media with my followers. And if you want a simple way to improve your sleep, head over to www.beaminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. That's 
www.bminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. Today's podcast is sponsored by NutriSense. It combines cutting edge technology and human expertise so you can see how your body responds to different types of nutrition, stress, exercise, sleep, and where you are in your menstrual cycle in real time. And by pairing a continuous glucose monitor with their app and expert nutritional guidance, NutriSense can help you reach your health goals. And the best part is it's not just a program where they send you the CGM and you have to figure it out on your own. Each subscription plan includes one month of free expert nutritionist support. Your nutritionist will work with you one-on-one interpreting your data and providing customized advice to help you reach your health goals. The last time I had my CGM on, my registered dietitian and I troubleshooted over some specific concerns that I had. And whether you're aiming to lose weight, stabilize your energy, or just feel better overall, NutriSense offers the guidance and support you need. And lasting sustainable change takes time and can be achieved through a longer term subscription. That's why I encourage my patients and clients to consider three, six, or 12-month subscriptions where it's actually less expensive and allows you to not only achieve your goals, but also to ensure that you stick to your healthy lifestyle for the long term. As I've mentioned before, I have found the CGMs I've used through NutriSense to be incredibly insightful, specifically to carbohydrate tolerance. I would not have known that plantains spiked my blood sugar without this information. It's also been hugely helpful for tailoring to workouts and sleep quality. And so for me, even though I am metabolically healthy, I find the insights to be particularly helpful to tailor my lifestyle changes to my blood sugar. Visit NutriSense.io slash EWP and use the code E. WP for $30 off plus one month of free nutritionist support. Be sure to let them know you're a listener of the Everyday Wellness Podcast when they ask you how you heard about them. This is one of my favorite ways to take care of my health and one of my top recommendations for all of my patients and clients. Well, and I love that and the concept of joy spam, which is something that will definitely, I know I definitely take that into account. And I think that it's important for us to meet our listeners where they are in time and space. And part of that is making things truly accessible. So there's a continuum of, and I'm sure there are those outliers who want to go to the extremes, but the average person wants to be able to live a great life and to feel good and have energy to spend time with their loved ones and engage in activities but they don't per se want to be so caught up in details that they can't make sense of what they need to do. And that's why I think, you know, your book really spoke to me in terms of, you know, identifying some, you know, kind of key characteristics of what really contribute to this joy span, longevity, epigenetics, et cetera. And so one thing I really want to touch on that I probably haven't spoken about on the podcast much at all is you mentioned in the book, crisis amplifies what is already wrong in the world in the context of the last three years of our lives. Can you speak to this just briefly? I think the impact of the pandemic and for many of us, I've seen a lot of people that have taken the stress of the last three years and they've decided I am going to decidingly make better decisions moving forward because of X, Y, and Z and others who, because of different types of circumstances may still be struggling. But you know, you mentioned in the book, this crisis amplification that I think for many of us, I, when I read that, I was like, that really stood out to me in the book. It was like, wow, that's exactly what's going on. So when I hear crisis, I think of the mental health epidemic. And I think 
the lack of connection we have and how that's playing a significant role. You know, there was a study we mentioned in the book in 2019 from Cigna that reported that only half of Americans say they have meaningful day-to-day face-to-face social interactions. So this is 2019. Can you imagine what that statistic is today? You know, there's another study out of uh, a BYU that compared smoking and loneliness, that mortality risk for loneliness is the same as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. I feel like people are familiar with that one. Just pause on that. Loneliness, 15 cigarettes a day. Another study found that people who are socially isolated were 45% more likely to get sick with the common cold. And so loneliness, loneliness, lack of connection. Another study from the author, Marta Zaraska, essentially said that exercise can lower mortality risk by 20 to 40%. Uh, having a good diet, more or less the same, 30%. But being in a good romantic relationship, having friends... Being connected to community, to your community can lower mortality risk by 45%. And so we could go on and on and spend like, fundamentally, we are not good at connection and I, and right now, and we're seeing it. And I think in our world, look, I'm not going to, nutrition and exercise are foundational, they're fundamental. I think most people listening can do a pretty good job assessing, you know, I'm probably not eating well, or I'm eating well, or I'm not moving and, or I'm not lifting or whatever it might be. They kind of know. I think when it gets to your emotional health, I think those questions are more difficult to ask. I think it may cause people to do some introspection they don't necessarily want to do. You know, just the question of, okay, the hypothetical, it's it's midnight and I'm in a crisis. Who's that friend I can call? Maybe if no one comes to mind, you have to do some work there. And, you know, for me, this is an area where I haven't been good. You know, I go back to my 20s. I played basketball in college at Columbia and I had such a great group of friends and we all stuck around the city. And then as I got older, you know, people started to move away. Then I got married, then work happened, then kids and I've lost touch. And that's something I need to work on. And you know what, men, we're not good here. You know, many of your listeners are female. You're way better than we are. Colleen is way (laughs) better than I am on this. And it's something that is just so critical. And, you know, in the research for the book, I came across, it's like my all-time favorite study. It's the Rosetto study. And it really hit home for me. And so Rosetto was a small town in rural Pennsylvania in the 1950s. And this is when heart disease arrives in America, but not in Rosetto. People over 60, over 65, it was half that of the nation. Men under 55, zero, no cases. So they're like, what are these people doing in Rosetto? Well, they're smoking, they're drinking, they're eating lots of pasta and meatballs. This makes absolutely no sense. Basically, they're doing everything that, you know, we talk about every show not to do. And so they took a deeper look. And these people had incredibly strong social connections. Multi-generational living was common. They were throwing lots of parties and parades. They were enjoying the wine and food with family and friends. And then in the 1960s, you know what? Community starts to break up people move away, guess what? Heart disease arrives and catches up with the national average. And to me, it's just really spoke to me. And in our world, we can get so caught up in nutrition and exercise and everything else that we don't think about connection. I think that's just so crucial where we sit right now with the loneliness epidemic. Yeah, I think it's something that is probably not discussed enough. And certainly, I think the social media algorithms, as we've talked about, really kind of favor extremes and not necessarily extremes that benefit us emotionally or otherwise. Can we speak to this? Because I actually said to one of my children, I was a poli sci major the first time around. And I said, I I grew up reading the newspaper before class and I was expected to engage in vigorous debate 
And I said, over the course of the last three years, I've watched less and less news because in many ways it is, it can be very upsetting, distressing, et cetera. And your book yeah. really speaks to this. Yeah. This was another, uh, you know, why, because we felt the a book was a great format to express our opinions because we think we're very reasonable and balanced people and reasonable and balanced doesn't necessarily get the airtime it deserves in media right now. And we discovered a study by the University of Pennsylvania at the Wharton School where they analyzed the most emailed articles in the New York Times. Essentially, this is the list you want to be on the New York Times, the most widely read articles in the world. And they looked to see if they could find any similarities in terms of emotion. And they grouped these articles. And sure enough, they did find some similarities. And the top three emotions were anxiety, awe, and anger. Guess what number one was? Anger. Anger increased virality by 34%. So let's just pause and think about what that really means. If someone read an article in the New York Times and that article caused that person to be angry, it was 34% more likely to be one of the most popular articles on the New York Times. And the more someone engages in terms of it's a video, watching it or reading it or commenting and sharing it, the more revenue. And so... I don't think this is unique to the New York Times. I think this is the world we live in and you see it in the algorithms and social media. And that's problematic. I think we've seen that in the political space. And I think we see it in our world, the wellness world. If you want to drive engagement, if you want to build a personal brand, the way to do so is to have an extreme point of view. Don't deviate from it and go to it over and over. Maybe pick an enemy. That's helpful too. So, you know, <laughs> pick a food. Love a certain food, eat a certain way. We like to be told what to do. I think in our world, just, you know, tell me, and I get it. Everyone's busy. Just tell me the five foods. Just tell me what I should do. Tell me what I should stay away from. So pick a food group, stick to it. Don't deviate. Maybe pick an enemy. You know, let's just say, you know, spinach. I'll, I'll always say spinach is high in oxalates. You got to watch out for kidney stones. I've had one. They're painful, but like spinach is the devil. Stay away from spinach. Spinach causes X, Y, and Z and just eat this one thing all day. And it's extreme point of view. That'll do well. Whereas coming on and saying, you know what? Should probably eat, you know, some grass fed meat, some wild salmon, some vegetables, fruits, have dessert when you want, knock yourself out a glass of wine. That seems pretty balanced. I don't see that playing well. And that is just so unfortunate. We live in this wonderful age of information and there's so many phenomenal experts and influencers with great information. And with that becomes the problem of it's a cacophony. And how do you stand out the cacophony? You have to have an extraordinarily extreme point of view. And that's sad. It really is. And I, I think out of many things relevant to lifestyle, I think on a lot of different levels that nutrition tends to be the most polarizing and oh, yeah. I think it then equates to a lot of confusion and then people don't know what to do. And my poor team, I'm sure your team hears it every day. My poor team says all the time, people are in such a state of confusion. They don't know what to do. They don't. It is confusing. And unfortunately, it becomes tribalism. And I do understand there are many people who come into our world where you know, they're suffering and they've been gaslit by their practitioners. You know, maybe they have autoimmune or something that's or really struggling with Lyme and no one can diagnose it. And then all of a sudden they embrace a certain diet. Perhaps that diet is somewhat restrictive, but boom, change happens and they become whole again. They feel invigorated and that diet becomes really critical to their identity. And when someone challenges that online, it feels like you're being challenged and it can incite anger. And I kind of understand that point of view, but I still don't think it's healthy for the conversation. To your earlier point, 
I believe in having a dialogue. I believe in being empathetic. I believe in listening to others' point of view. Even if you disagree, just trying to understand where they're coming from, I think can make for an informed conversation and maybe change your behavior down the road. Something I've seen too in my late 40s, we change by decade. Be open to that. What works for you in your 20s is probably going to evolve in your 30s, 40s, and so on. I think the science is always changing. And I think if you're going to be rigid about anything, be rigid about being flexible. I think that's such an important point. And I'm often one that will say, this is what works for me. People are always curious to know what I eat, how much I eat, how often I eat. Do I eat this? Do I eat that? And I just tell people when I was in my forties, for me, removing gluten and dairy was huge in terms of reversing autoimmune conditions, in terms of weight loss resistance, in terms of me just feeling good. And I say to people all the time, that may not be realistic for a listener, but maybe that listener is going to remove processed gluten. Maybe that's where they start from. And I think that people have to understand there's a degree of experimentation, which many people struggle with because that's scary. You know, it's saying, okay, I'm going to give you the tools and you go find out what works for you and your health. The other side of the, the coin is people that become so rigid that because it worked for them, it must apply to everyone, I think can be a concern. And I know that because fasting seems to exist in a kind of low carb ketogenic diet space, people just assume I'm keto. And I tell them all the time, I don't, I'm not, I actually like carbohydrates, but I know what my body tolerates and it goes back to that bio-individuality piece. And so when we're talking about nutrition, I think that there are certainly certain types of foods or certain things like seed oils, as an example, I think most of us can agree. There's probably not a lot of nutritional value, which I processed highly inflammatory seed oil versus, you know, the carbohydrate, the unprocessed carbohydrate debate. Yeah. You know, I, I think with food is such a tricky one. If we were just going to talk about food, you know, we, we could, the book would never be ending, you know, and I think for us, you know, we spent a lot of time in this chapter and we said, okay, what are the universal truths again, given bio-individuality and all the different opinions, what can we establish as these are the things we know to be true. And so one of them, you, you just pointed out, you know, we believe in eating whole foods. That's unfortunately something we're not doing well in America, specifically with kids, you know, kids, more than two thirds of their calories are coming from ultra processed foods. And so why is that problematic? There's a study that, you know, has made the rounds of coming from France that showed a 10% increase in the consumption of highly processed food led to a 14% increased risk of death. And so, okay, 10% equals 14% increase risk of death. And then you think of how much processed food we're eating. That's something that we want to be mindful of. And, you know, coming back to bio-individuality, I think sometimes it helps to provide visuals with like people. And then when we were writing the mind, it's like, you know what? We have two friends. Let's talk about our our two friends. One of them is Mark Sisson, our dear friend in Miami, who's 69, saw him a couple of weeks ago. He just looks amazing. And he go check out Mark Sisson on Instagram. Looks amazing. And he feels amazing. He says, I feel better than ever. What does Mark do? He works out a ton, but his diet is pretty, he's almost a carnivore. And so here's someone who's 69, incredible shape and carnivore. On the other hand, our other friend, Rich Roll is 56. He also looks amazing and feels amazing. He also works out a ton. He's hundred percent plant-based. These two people have really nothing in common other than they work out a ton. I'll give them that. They're working out a lot. <laughs> And they don't really eat a lot of processed food. 
And I think that's something we could all agree on. And, you know, someone who I think really hit this home for us was Mark Schatzker, who, you know, we talk about in the book, you know, he really illustrates this with what happened in Italy and America at the turn of the century. And so there was this brutal disease called pellagra. I, I can never remember from pr- pronouncing it right. And so it was, it was just terrible. It led to like dark spots, skin, teeth falling out, diarrhea, delirium, death. And so this was happening in Italy. And in Italy, it was a disease of poverty. And so essentially what was causing this disease was a deficiency in niacin. And so in Italy, this is happening and they kind of like, you know, did the Italian thing and took their time with it. And it ha- it's also happening in the U.S. a little bit later in the Southeast. And so in Italy, what they did was they said, you know what, let's subsidize baking bread and community ovens because bread is rich in niacin. And so it took a little while, but it kind of worked itself out. In the U.S., we went to the lab. We said, let's fortify foods with niacin. This also worked. And so we have it in the Southeast. We have it in Italy. One said, let's address it with baking sourdough. (laughs) The other said, let's fortify foods. And so if you look at these two places today, it is a tale of two cities. Look at obesity in Mississippi, it's close to 40%. If you look at the same spot and where this occurred in Northern Italy, it's just under 10%. And so you can say, well, what about all the barbecue and meat they're consuming in Mississippi? Not the case. They're also loading up with pork and butter and their sweet treats in Northern Italy. And to us, it really hit home. It's not necessarily the, well, I say not necessarily, we don't think it's the meat. We think it's the processed food. And so that really stuck out to me and really emphasizes, emphasize. And again, this is where bioindividuality comes in. I think, and we referenced in the book, go get a lipid panel. You know, there's some people who look at meat and their lipid panel goes through the roof. There's others can be all day, no problem. So get a baseline understanding, but really try to emphasize eating whole foods. And I think that's something we can all agree upon. Yeah. And I think it's important to kind of send that message that For each one of us, it might be a different combination of protein, fat, and carbohydrates that allows our bodies to be nourished and to allow us to be healthy, to sleep well, to be able to exercise. And I love that you kind of brought those points in there. And and I need to check out Mark Schatzker's book. I actually went and bought it while I was reading your book. Let's talk about exercise because this is another kind of polarizing concept in terms of people needing guidance about what is most beneficial at different stages of life. And so obviously... This is another area or space where there's a degree of cognitive dissonance. Yeah, this is another, you know, <laughs> so much controversy in our world. So a couple of thoughts. One is walking is probably the most underrated activity, whether it's for cognitive health. There's a great study out of the UK, which essentially it was almost 80,000 adults who were clocking almost 10,000 steps a day, 51% risk reduction in dementia to cardiovascular health. There was a great study in the 1940s of uh, transportation workers in London, and it found that conductors who were the ones who were walking versus the ones who were sitting, conductors had lower incidence of cardiovascular disease. Walking is tremendous. And I think with regards to cardiovascular health, there's a lot of talk of, you know, in the biohacking world of zone two, you want to be in zone two. Well, what the hell is zone two? You know, well, 
instead of going out and doing a, you know, measuring your lactate and, you know, and look, I wear a whoop and an aura ring. So as our friend JJ Virgin said, you know, a lot of the things we talk about are the frosting and before you need, you need to bake the cake before you get to the frosting. <laughs> I like the frosting, but we view the 80% as the baking the cake. So at any rate, how do you figure out the, the zone two? Well, essentially that's being able to hold the conversation, but being slightly out of breath. So you could be walking fast. That's what's going to get you there. You could be taking the stairs. That's what's going to get you there. You don't necessarily have to go running. You just have to be walking at a fast pace, taking the stairs. Okay. The main objection again, I don't have the time. I have a rule. If I have to go five flights or less, I take the stairs. Well, I don't have the time. How long does that really take me? Less than 30 seconds. I'm in pretty good shape. If Assuming everyone's mobile. If you're not in good shape, maybe a minute. So just everyone has that time. You're waiting for an elevator longer than that and like a high rise. So taking the stairs, always moving. That's a big one. That's how you get your zone two in. Try to incorporate movement in your day. You have a phone call, you have a Zoom, make it a walking meeting, make it a walking catch up. So that's like such a big one. Just incorporate more movement into the day. If you don't like running, don't run. I hate running. The last time I ran was the last basketball game I played in 1998. If you see me running, call the police because I'm being chased. <laughs> I'm in trouble. <laughs> and so the, the other idea too is you got to find something that brings you joy. National Quitters this day, day this year was January 13th. This is when most people quit the gym. We're 13 days in. Why does that happen? Because we sign ourselves up for activities, modalities, or protocols that we don't enjoy and there aren't a part of our lifestyle. It's about editing, not adding. Do the work and understand what your life entails, You know, whether with kids, work, family, and then integrate into it. Don't try to add, edit. And that's a big thing. The other thing that has become increasingly important for Colleen and I, and, and it's in the context of a longevity conversation, is resistance training. Sarco, you've talked about this on, on your show many times, but sarcopenia is more common than you think. We, we lose bone density as we age up to 1% of a year after the age of 40. So you know, let's think about this. If unaddressed, it can lead to osteoporosis in men and women. And sarcopenia is just really challenging. 13% of their people in their 60s are suffering from it. And if you're lucky enough to make it into your 80s, half of the population is living with it. And so, okay, why does that matter? Well, here's a study that, you know, <laughs> I think your listeners are familiar with, but I'll repeat it anyway. If you're over 65, there's a 25% chance you'll fall. If you fall once, you're twice as likely to fall again. If you fall and break your hip, there's a 30 to 40% chance you will die within a year. I will caveat, I did this with your friend, like it's not necessarily the broken hip that's going to kill you. This is something I know you've seen. It's the complications from surgery. It's potential infection. It's being laid up. It's becoming depressed. And this is something anecdotally, unfortunately, we've seen with a lot of our friends. And so, okay, sarcopenia, bone density. Well, what do I do here? So let's go to the following scenario. So ideally, you want the muscle and the mobility and balance to avoid this. So let's say you have the balance and the mobility. You don't even fall at all. It's like not something you have to concern about. Let's say you begin to fall. You want that mobility and balance to, to regain it, or maybe the strength to grab something to stop you from falling, or the muscle as the body armor to break your fall. And that's a big one. 
And it really hit home for me in all ways when this is, we were starting to write the book and I wasn't really into weighing myself and I, you know, I'll weigh myself, but I noticed I lost about seven or eight pounds. And I was like, everything fits the same. I don't really understand this. And then I looked in the mirror and I was like, oh my God, I've got old white man's ass. I'm losing <laughs> my butt. I used to, you know, I was a former basketball player at this like big, you know, nice basketball athletic round butt. And I was like, oh my God, okay, this makes total sense. I never really liked resistance training, specifically legs. So like I stopped doing it when I stopped playing 25 years ago. So duh, no, you know, the stairs are great and walking's great, but like, I need to like do some squats here and start to get some resistance training in here. Cause I'm losing, I'm losing my butt. And, you know, we do live in Miami. So, you know, people, oh, well, <laughs> that, that, that wasn't the factor. It was longevity. It was like, wow, I need to really start working on this. And it really hit home. I'm like, okay, I'm, you know, in my late forties now, like this stuff catches up and it's harder to get there as you age. And okay, how do you get there? You need to do some sort of resistance training. I actually don't spend a lot of time in the gym. You know, I'm big into body weight exercises and we do have a great gym here in Miami I'll go to, but I don't spend a lot of time in there. And then the question is, okay, you have to do resistance training. Well, then how do you put on muscle? Well, you need to ingest protein. And this is where it becomes, as you know, a very emotional conversation. And the current RDA, and I like grams, not kilograms. I just can't do it. A 0.36 grams per pound of body weight is to survive, not thrive. That's just like to make sure you don't die. Keep, exactly. And if you're serious about maintaining or building lean muscle, you probably need double or at least triple that. And also you need to take in consideration having the right amino acid profile, specifically leucine. You know, for kids, it's different. For us adults, if you don't get that two and a half to three grams of leucine, the muscle protein synthesis doesn't happen. In other words, the protein you just ingested doesn't really count. And I don't think anyone's interested in just having protein and not having a count towards your muscle. So then it's quality of protein. And this is where, you know, animal protein is just superior. You can get there with plant-based protein, but it is very difficult. It is significantly easier with protein that is animal-based to get that leucine in. And that's been a focus. And so since then, I'm, I, I'm due for a body scan soon. I really made this a priority and I gained five pounds of lean muscle mass in about 40 days. So this is one, I think, as you think about being rigid, about being flexible, you talked to me a decade ago when yoga saved me from back surgery, yoga was huge. In many ways, it saved my life. Today, my practice has completely evolved and I've been open to that. I didn't say, well, you know, resistance training is only for these types of people, or I don't do that. I'm just about yoga and nothing else. I changed because my needs changed. And I think that's just so important because it really is a journey. At some point, we've all been sold a big fat lie. It's called the protein misconception. So starting in the 1980s, we all believed that more protein equated to more muscle growth. And I'm here to tell you it's a big misconception. This has a great deal to do that our body can only absorb protein that's broken down into smaller building blocks called amino acids. 
It doesn't matter if you're consuming 30 grams of protein or 300 grams of protein. If you don't have a sufficient supply of enzymes to digest the protein, your muscles will ultimately be unable to use these as vital building blocks. That's why it's crucial you take a high-quality digestive enzyme. The one I trust and use myself is called Masszymes by Bi Optimizers. Masszymes is a full-spectrum enzyme formula with more protease than any other commercially available product. Product with five different forms of protease. Plus, it contains all the other key enzymes you need for optimal digestion. If you're experiencing bloating, gas, or digestive distress, a contributing factor can be that your body is no longer producing as much digestive enzymes. And you can try Masszymes today, risk-free. They have a 365-day full money-back guarantee and is the gold standard in the industry. Go to biooptimizers.com slash Cynthia. That's B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com slash Cynthia and use promo code Cynthia10 for 10% off of any order. Again, that's promo code Cynthia10 for 10% off any order. Have you guys heard about a bioactive whole food on the market with 5,000 published research studies backing it? When my oldest son needed to go on antibiotics a few months ago, I discovered Armra Colostrum and the benefits for him and his recovery from being on antibiotics have been instrumental in me now recommending this to my dairy non-sensitive patients and clients. Armra's colostrum strengthens immunity ignites metabolism, fortifies gut health, promotes hair growth and skin radiance, and powers fitness performance and recovery. My son has mentioned to me over and over again how great his gut feels, how he has improved his digestion and gut function as well. Colostrum is a rich, exclusive source of immunoglobulins or antibodies that optimize our immune defense even during cold and flu season. And we know that mucosal barriers house over 80% of our body's immune cells, including including the antibodies IgG and SIG-A. And these immunoglobulins bind and intercept harmful particles like viruses, bacteria, and toxins, blocking them from crossing into the barriers into our bloodstream. And armrest colostrum contains the highest levels of SIG-A and IgG to ensure your most fortified first line of protection. It's sustainably sourced, and it's important to know that you want to mix colostrum only with cold liquids or foods or dry scoop it into your mouth. This is also great for the oral microbiome. And we've worked out a special offer for my everyday wellness community where you can receive 15% off your first order. Go to tryarmra.com slash Cynthia15 or enter Cynthia15 to get 15% off your first order. That's T-R-Y-A-R-M-R-A.com slash Cynthia15. You definitely want to check it out. It really is. And I, I love how you kind of painted this colorful picture of your own experiences and also helping people understand that hearing this message over and over again, the role of sarcopenia, that it's not a matter of if, but when, if you're not actively working against it. And it's interesting. I, I take Pilates twice a week more for flexibility work because I'm one of those people that has overdeveloped quadriceps and therefore I'm always trying to balance things out. And I was having a conversation in Pilates a few weeks ago. And I just remember saying, I was talking to another nurse and I said, there's so many sarcopenic women in this room. 
And she said, oh yeah, you're right. And so when you were mentioning, I lost my butt and recognizing a lot of these women because they're doing Pilates only as strength training and they're not recognizing that kind of loss of lean muscle mass. I just remind people that it's not just about aesthetics. There's there's significant metabolic immune inflammatory changes that occur as we're losing muscle mass and the insulin sensitivity piece is never lost on me. Yeah. Look, if you love yoga, do yoga. I still do yoga. If you love Pilates, do Pilates, but you do need to incorporate some resistance training if you're really concerned about maintaining and building lean muscle mass. And so let's kind of tie up the conversation today, talking about hormesis. So hormetic stressors, everyone's familiar with intermittent fasting, but let's talk about it's cold exposure because this is an area that, you know, I've had the fortune as I'm sure you have of connecting with Wim Hof and other people that are biohacking experts, but cold exposure for many of us is something people really struggle with. They don't like the cold. I always say, if you don't like the cold, it probably means you need to do a little bit more, even if it's, you know, walking outside with a lighter jacket in the middle of winter, let's talk about cold exposure and how that benefits us. So I am one of those people, I will say, and Colleen is too, we don't like the cold. So we actually don't do this practice. <laughs> <laughs> and I think why we thought we got a why from our editor, well, why are you putting us in the book? And we said, well, because there's real science here. It is a real hormetic stressor. There are tremendous benefits in terms of helping with, with brown fat, helping with CBD, hypertension, increased levels of dopamine. And if you think about accessible, like everyone's got access to, you know, cold shower, cold bath, and, you know, time it's, you can do it pretty quickly. You do 30 to 60, 30 to 90 seconds, cold shower. That's like any, anyone can do that. Your cold plunges are expensive, but you can recreate one in your tub. So like we didn't talk about sauna because saunas can, you can kind of recreate that, but it's hard. Saunas are more expensive. We want to be accessible. And so this one, there are tremendous benefits we don't find joy in it. And so <laughs> our whole book is about joy. We wanted to, wanted to tell people like, this is something, try it. The benefits are there. And if you like it, go for it. But there is something in our world with these expectations where people maybe feel they need to do everything. And if they don't, maybe they feel a little guilty, a little bit shame. And our view is here are the pillars. Try to do as many as you can. This one's fantastic. But if it doesn't bring you joy, don't do it. And, you know, give it a try. You know, I think most people will say like, I love the cult, like Wim Hof. I love the cult, you know, Wim's Wim. He's this big personality, but give it a try. See if it sticks. But if you don't like it, that's okay. You can find hormesis in so many other different ways. And, and don't feel guilty. Don't feel shameful as you go on social media and I'm doing this cold plunge and that cold plunge. And, you know, I talked to Mark Sisson about this and he was like, and Mark loves cold plunges. And Mark's like, I met a guy who said he's did like seven minutes. And Mark's like, so what? <laughs> I <laughs> that did, I, Mark. Yeah, I did three. Like, who, who cares? Like, and I think we just wanted to put that out there. That the science is there. And if it doesn't bring you joy, and look, you need to be somewhat comfortable with being uncomfortable to a degree. But if you don't like it, don't do it. Well, I love that message. I love the transparency because I think that's important. And I think it was 
Sarah Gottfried, when I interviewed her, was saying that there are some genetic propensities, like there are some people who don't need seven minutes in a cold plunge to get the hormesis that maybe 30 seconds of a cold shower will do for them. And so I'm convinced I'm one of these people. And so I say all the time, like, I'll do cryotherapy for two minutes or three minutes, but that's as much as I want to do. A cold uh, plunge would probably, I'm sure that I would derive benefits, but I, it would be such an unpleasant experience for me that it probably wouldn't be something I'd want to replicate anytime soon. Like Colleen and I joke that if you have young children, you get hormesis, you get the short bursts of stress every day. It's so true. Although I have to tell you, I now have teenagers and there are moments where I, you know, I remember when my kids were like two and three and and one in particular, his personality is just such that he's constantly kind of pushing the envelope. And now as a teenager, he's bigger, he's stronger. There's no picking him up and putting him into a timeout. And just, I always (sighs) say to my husband, I have to count to 10 in my head. I'm like, before you react, take a deep breath exhale and then speak. And so sometimes I'll, I'll remind him before you speak, maybe you should stop and think because I know that I have to do that even as an adult when I'm frustrated. Wouldn't the world be such a better place if everyone operated on social media in, in that way? Yes, 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 <laughs> exactly. And so one last thing to kind of talk about, there's so much great information in your book. One last thing that I thought would be helpful to touch on is talking about the role of forever chemicals. It's not a subject we've talked a lot about on the podcast, but obviously as an example, there's some of these PFAS chemicals that can have half-lives that are almost hundred years. Yeah. Why are these important and, and how do we help kind of navigate making better decisions? Like I'm thinking about Teflon and, you know, these, these coated pans that all of us think are great to make omelets in. Yes. You know, this is a big one. And the, the conversation around, toxins and the environment and climate change is one that can quickly become overwhelming and turn into an episode of Portlandia. It's just <laughs> never enough. So we kind of like calling it like, we need to pick our spots here. And so, you know, PFAS, if you will, are, are everywhere. You know, the water resistant coatings, in the bottom of cardboard pizza boxes, inside of microwave popcorn bags, wrappers from burgers, and the more you think about PFAS, the more you realize they are literally everywhere. And so, you know, I think without becoming completely overwhelmed by this, I think that the takeaways are, you know, try to really minimize plastics, really focus on glass Tupperware. That's something that was really important to us. And just like have this understanding, I think at the highest level in this, the context of this conversation is, you know, we're not a closed system. We're open to the world, what we bring it inside, what we eat, what we drink, what we breathe. And just like when you understand the uh, that on an intellectual, emotional and spiritual level, I think you realize that we need to change. You know, we found plastic in the blood of humans for the first time. We eat a credit card's worth of plastic a year. That's like, it's not like we're accidentally eating it. That's because it's just everywhere. And I think in the, again, in this conversation, I think just trying to do what you can and realize you can have an impact. So that is being knowledgeable of PFAS. It's minimizing plastic in the environmental conversation. Food waste is huge. That's a big one. Essentially, it's just make sure you order the right amount of food. That's making sure, you know, for us, that's frozen organic vegetables. 
you know, the tough thing with getting fresh fruits and vegetables is you got to eat them quick and they go to waste. And sometimes that's tough. You're busy meal planning. We love frozen. Don't go to waste. So like make your food count. Food waste is a big one. Fast fashion. You know, we'd always thought that fast fashion, because it's so inexpensive, was for lower income families. That's actually not true. The people consuming fast fashion are not lower income. They're people who can afford anything. And so, you know, how much is we waste there? And so it's just being a little bit more, we're not saying, you know, buy everything organic with fashion. It's essentially buy things that you like and are durable and made well and ask and last over the course of time. Make it count. Just don't buy things don't that you don't really care about and wear for a day and throw out. And it's just being like a more mindful consumer. And look, there's a lot here, you know, and I think we encourage people to still consume, but vote with their dollars. I think it's really important to be thoughtful where we're we're spending our money, uh, where we give our time and attention. One of the things I did in 2023, because I I love clothes, uh, and I and to be more conscientious because you know we've got big expenses coming up. You know we're going to have two in college in a few years, even though we've been dutifully putting money away. Was that a lot of these emails that I was receiving that seemed so benign from these you know fashion bloggers. And then the recognition that every time you click on these links, they're making, you know, all this money. And ultimately, did I need more shoes now? Do I need more clothing <laughs> now? You know, how can I thoughtfully repurpose things that I own or make sure that I'm not just buying to buy? And I think that mm-hmm. that's something that this year I've made a very conscientious. So I unsubscribe from all of those email lists and I unfollowed all these women on Instagram, even though I love their style and I love seeing what they were doing. But I was like, I'm buying things I don't need. And, and ultimately yep. that's detracting from a from a higher purpose. Well, this has been such a great conversation. Obviously, I, we could have gone down any rabbit hole and talked about any one aspect of the book. Please let my listeners know when your book is the official publication date, how to connect with you if they've been in a vacuum and aren't aware of Mind Body Green. You've got a, an amazing podcast, or which I've been fortunate to have been a guest, as well as an amazing website where you could, there's a lot of really great curated information. Well, thank you. Uh, so the book comes out on May 23rd, and you can get more information at thejoyofwellbeing.com. And the book is, of course, available at Amazon and all major book retailers. There it is, The Joy of Wellbeing. And you can find us the Mind Body Green podcast, which you were on last week. And people are loving you, by the way, getting great oh, feedback. Good. Thank you. Uh, and then at mindbodygreen.com and all things social media, Mind Body Green. And I'm at Jason Wacob on Instagram. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. I'm really excited to get your book out there into the world. Thank you so much. If you love this podcast episode, please leave a rating and review, subscribe and tell a friend. Just as you carefully choose the cut of meat or freshness of produce that you cook at home, you should carefully choose chemical-free cookware that provides a healthy and safe cooking experience. The materials in 360 cookware are safe, sustainable, and of the highest quality. Their cookware is 100% free from any toxic chemicals as the company produces quality stainless steel cookware and bakeware without added chemicals, and all are manufactured in the United States. 
It's also the leading manufacturer that equips kitchens with cookware and bakeware that are free of all of the toxic chemicals and coatings, including PFAS, Teflon, and ceramic. And the best thing is that when used properly, the product's construction provides nonstick properties in a product that can be passed down through generations. Go to www.360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. Again, that's 360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. We've been using their products over the last several months and have really been pleased with not only the durability, but ease of cleanliness. 